I like that. That was good, huh? Yeah, the only thing missing was me singing the bass. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I was told years ago that I, told, I was told tenors make all the money, you know. But, uh, boy, I don't know about you guys, but most of us guys, we all have dreams of being that deep-throated bass singer. Yeah. It's just not many of us that do. <laughs> No, that's a tough one. That was good, guys. I like that quartet music. I don't know if that didn't fire you up. But I don't know what did. Those, those specials, boy, I'll tell you what, we're spot on today. Boy, good message in them. I'm so glad you could be here today. 
Let's go ahead and take our Bibles today. Look over, um, just like turn to Genesis chapter 18, if you would. Uh, we're going to get started here in just a moment. But I do want to uh, let you know that Wednesday night we'll be having our, uh, of course, our VBS here in the building. And, and I, I know that we don't like, have the, the, the uh, traditional service like we normally do. It'll be different, but you're welcome to come on out. It does start at 6.30, goes to 8 o'clock. If you get here a little later, that's, that's fine, but we'd love you to be a part of that. And again, sometimes you think, well, that's a night off for the church. It's not really a night off for the church. There's probably over, I think, what, almost 60 workers already involved in the process. And then we just want to invite you to come on out and join us and be a part of that and see what's going on and, and allow it to kind of just, I mean, just to watch these kids and to see all the workers and to get it plugged in and be a part of that service that night. There'll be uh, some preaching. There'll be uh, uh, just some games. There'll be all kind of things. And I know some of you, uh, you know, maybe the, the loudness of it kind of gets to you. That's fine. But uh, I know many of you will come and you'll take the time to sit and enjoy and be a part of that. We want to invite you back. So our Wednesday night service isn't the same as it usually is, but we're still going to, in a sense, have a service. So come on out and be a part of it. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be glad you did. It'll be a good time. And uh, we'll have uh, just enjoy the, uh, the kids and just everything that's going on that week. That's what's happening at Community Baptist Temple this Wednesday. And we want you to be a part of it. Um, we face some pretty difficult times in life, don't we? We really do, and, you know, we're up against it. I mean, we have some overwhelming odds at times that we have to face and have to deal with. And sometimes it seems there's great walls in front of us. We don't know whether to go over them, around them, or under them. And the truth is, is that each and every one of us, you know, probably would like it if we didn't have to face troubles or trials or difficulties or hard times. Maybe we were honest with ourselves and with others, we'd say, you know, I'd like to avoid all of that. I'd prefer things to go smooth. I'd prefer things to go well. But unfortunately, that's just not how life goes, is it? That's not how it is for the unsaved. That's not how it is for believers. The fact is today is that each and every one of us in this room have to face obstacles. We have to face some, some walls in our life, some things that cause us to maybe even be somewhat timid, afraid, even frightened at times. But... You know, it's interesting in the Bible, you know, we, there's a truth that seems to prevail and it continues to be restated in the Bible. And that truth is simply this, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing's too hard for God. Now, years ago, it was quite some time ago now, there was a, 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 a I guess an exercise guru by the name of Tony Little. And Tony Little, he was, he, he kind of got one of those, uh, I don't know what it was, it was kind of a... Uh, like a, you, you know, you went like this. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? That's some trainer. I don't know what they called it at the time. But old Tony Little would get on that thing and he'd get going crazy and he'd be going, you can do it. <laughs> you remember, remember those commercials? Some of you are a little old enough to know. And even if you, I mean, if you're probably 20, you remember those. I mean, Tony Little, you can do it, you know. And then he, he went to some other products and other lines of exercise equipment. He was always known for being, you can do it, Tony Little. Well, not everybody could do it. And the truth is, is that you and I are limited in what we can and can't do. You know, there are some things that just are too big for us. There are some problems and situations and circumstances that will indeed overwhelm us, that will take us by surprise even, will ultimately crush us. But may I say that the truth still exists and is still reality today. Nothing is too hard for God. 
And so today or this morning, I just want to consider a couple spots in the Word of God where we're reminded of that truth. Because it seems that in the day and age in which we live, we're every, at every corner, at every turn, there's something, someone, a situation, a circumstance that seems overwhelming. And as believers, we can't enter life, we can't go into life, we can't leave our homes every day worried about what we'll face. We have to go into life and realizing that we've got a God bigger than our problems. So let's have a word of prayer and consider a couple of these thoughts. This, this idea that there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Just to take a few moments, Lord, as we consider your word. And just, Father, what you've done in the past. And, Lord, help us to be encouraged today as we leave. To know, Father, that there is no obstacle. There's no problem. There's no situation that's too big if we give it to you. Lord, help us, Lord, just to be faithful. And, Father, seeking you and drawing nigh to you and allowing you to have preeminence in our life. Thank you for being a God that's bigger than our problems. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Turn, if you would, as you said, to Genesis 18. You might already be there. 18, verse 14. Just real quick, let's read that particular verse together. There's just one verse. I'll read it aloud. You read it, read it silently with me. But it says, it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Now, most of us are aware of the situation, the story. If you've been in church at all in your life or Sunday school, you've heard about Abraham and Sarah and the fact that they were to have a child. And Abraham had been promised a son years before this. So the fact was is that the child did not come in his time frame. It didn't happen according to his calendar. And as a result of that, he kind of took some things into his own hands. He was so desperate that he sought to fulfill that need or that, that particular uh, prophecy himself. And so he takes matters into his own hands and he has a child with Hagar, Abraham's handmaid. But still God would keep his promise. And Sarah is now 89 years old. And Abraham is 99 here. But they have the promise of God. They have the promise of God. And that's important. In Genesis 17, 19, even before that, and God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. He had already told Abraham, listen, it's going to happen. And thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So they had the promise of God. And yet, boy, I'll tell you what, they were having a hard time believing that God was going to come through. You've never been there, have you? I've never been there. Right. We've all been there, right? We know what God's Word said, and we'll say we believe God's Word, but when it comes down to it, if we're not careful in this flesh in which we live, we find ourselves doubting the very God that created us, the very God that saved us. We doubt His promises, and we doubt His abilities even to accomplish and to perform what He said He would. And Abraham and Sarah were no different. Later in Genesis, we see that God did indeed fulfill the promise. He kept his word as he always does. Turn into Genesis 21 too, would you please? Genesis chapter 21, verse 2. Notice it says, therefore, Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. 
at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, it's important in Genesis 18, 14, as we noted, it said that, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now we see in Genesis 21, 2, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Boy, God said, listen, this is when you're going to have it. And he did. He made it clear there, back there earlier. And he said, listen, I'm telling you, I'm coming. You're going to have this child. It's going to happen. I guarantee it's going to happen. Boy, God kept his word. He always does. See, God is in the business of the impossible. And I'm glad he is. Every time I walk into Community Baptist Temple, I remember that truth, that God is in the business of the impossible. We are prone to forget that truth, aren't we? It is so natural in ourselves to doubt. Sometimes we neglect it by forging ahead on our own. We say, you know what? I got to believe that I've, I just got to do something. I can't sit here and do nothing. I can't sit on my hands and I can't relax. I've got to step out. I've got to do something to correct the situation, to, to forge a path through the difficulties. But I say there are times in our lives where God has already made a promise. We just need to simply allow him to be God. How many times have we messed up everything because we had to get something done now? We couldn't wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And yet waiting is probably the most difficult thing in the Christian life to do. It's so difficult at times. We take the reins and we determine, on our, uh, we determine our own direction and our own destination even at times. But I want you to know that The answer to our question today is a resounding no. There's nothing too hard for God. When he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? We should all say, no way. And yet, let's be honest, we struggle sometimes. Nothing in the universe, nothing in the world in which we live, nothing in our personal lives is too hard for God or so big that God can't handle it. Take your Bible, look over, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 32. So we see there in Genesis that the question is asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? And we note that the response of God is absolutely not. I don't care how old you are, Sarah. It doesn't matter how old you are, Abraham. It doesn't matter how many years have elapsed since I made the original promise. The fact is, is that nothing's too hard for me. Notice Jeremiah chapter 32 now. It's one of those prophecy books. The prophet Jeremiah here. Notice chapter 32, verse 26 and 27. He's considered a major prophet. And again, major prophet just means that his book's bigger than some of the others. There's major prophets and there's minor prophets as I teach it in Bible school or even in maybe some uh, class you've taken in the past. But major prophet doesn't mean that what he has to say is more important than the other guys. His book's just a lot bigger. That's really the difference. Jeremiah 32, 26 and 27. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
Well, what an interesting question again. Is there anything too hard for me? And he's asking it to the prophet. He's asking it to God's man. If you and I as God's people cannot answer in the affirmative, then who will? He goes on in this passage to tell the prophet that he's going to scatter the nation of Israel among the nations. He's going to permit them to be led into captivity. We know that in 586, of course, we know they have the Babylonian captivity. We already noted earlier in 721, you had the Assyrian captivity. But in this case, he's saying, now listen, it's going to happen. They're going to go into captivity. He's letting them know that ahead of time. Their homes, their families, their lives will be uprooted. Their cities and their lands will be laid waste. It appears though everything is lost. No hope whatsoever. Still, no matter how bleak, no matter how grim it may appear in the eyes of humanity. I got a plan, God says. I got a plan to regather and to restore Israel once again. Look, if you would, in chapter 32 again, but this time 37 through 42. He says in verse 37, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath, the captivity. And I will bring them again into this place and will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Now, I think it's important that we note that already, that they may fear me forever for the good of them, of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. How long is everlasting? It's forever, right? Now, that's important to note, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but, but I will, and it's not saying I'll not, he's saying I'm not going to, I'm not going to not do them good. I'm going to do them good. But I will put my fear into their hearts that they will not depart from me. They, that they shall not depart from me. That they shall not depart from me. Yeah, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. Now again, there's a prophecy here, right? He's talking now to the, to the, the prophet and he says, listen, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I'm going to send the people of God into captivity, but I'm going to bring them back. And when I bring them back, I'm really going to do them good. Now hold on. The prophecy is twofold, however. You say, what do you mean? Well, a lot of prophecies are twofold. In this particular case, it would be 70 years later that a remnant would return to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the walls and rebuild the worship of that city. They started really with the worship and then the walls. By the way, that's important. Can I explain to you real quick, just real, real quick. They started with the worship, then they built the walls. They started with the worship, then they built the walls. Now listen, walls are for protection, right? Now listen, you can believe whatever you want, but it's important that we set some standards in our lives, put some walls around our lives, protect our convictions. It's important, but hold on a second. The danger is if we start building the walls before we build the worship. 
Because see, it all has to begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just salvation, but a walk with God. A relationship with the God of heaven. And when we have that relationship and our heart is broken for God and we want to please the Lord and we don't want to hurt Him in any way, then we set up those standards and those standards protect our convictions and keep us where we need to be and where we want to be. But it begins with the worship. If you're trying to get somebody or convincing somebody they need standards in their life, it does no good until they have the worship, until they have the relationship with God. Up to that point, all it becomes is a set of rules and regulations. And it suffocates them because their heart's not in it. And we wonder why we have so many young people and even adults in the, the church today rushing away from fundamental, sound, Bible-preaching, teaching churches that say we need to live and act a certain way. We need to be sanctified and separated under the Lord. I'll tell you why. Because the worship's missing. It becomes simply duty and no longer delight when all it is is walls that we're building. We need the worship first, then the walls. That was extra. You didn't have to pay a dime for it. But that'll preach pretty good. So in 70 AD, then ultimately, excuse me, 70 years afterwards, after they go into captivity, they return to the land. Now here, it's important. They go back to Jerusalem. They begin rebuilding the worship in the walls of that city. That continues up till 70 AD, 70 years after Christ. Uh, you know, 70 years, uh, we, you know, Lord's been on the scene already. And now in 70 AD, there's the destruction of Jerusalem that takes place. And you know what? You don't see a nation on the planet called Israel for almost 2,000 years. But wait, I'm, I'm sorry, but for some reason I still remember there's a promise. And it's an everlasting covenant he's making. So wait a second. Someone says, well then, okay, Israel showed up, and now in 70 AD they're gone. So that was the fulfillment of the promise. When he brought them out of captivity, he fulfilled his promise. Yeah, partially, but there's a second part of that, obviously, because he's no longer their God now, in that sense. He's not the one, they're not in their land any longer. They're not, that everlasting covenant is not being fulfilled. He's not doing them good all the time now. So you know what? You know what we have to look forward to? Israel being placed back in their land again. Israel becoming the nation of preeminence and prominence again as they once were. God's still not finished with Israel yet. And it all started and began back in May of 1948 when Israel became an independent state and they, began, they got put back together. The United Nations recognized them as their own country, at their own right in the Middle East. And may I say, God's working his work and he's doing a miracle. And let me tell you something, he's fulfilling his prophecy. And if God could deliver Israel out of Egypt and then he could place them in the promised land and then he could place them into captivity, he could bring them back into their land, he could allow the walls of Jerusalem to be torn down and destroyed and yet still we see the effect of God's promise already starting to put into place that nation once again as he promised. Let me ask you, what's so big for God in your life? What's so big for God in my life that he can't do it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He can restore a nation to their land if he can place them once again in their prominence and preeminence, if he can put them over all the nations of the earth, if he can do that and restore them, what can he do in your life? What can he do in my life? What can he do in your family? What can he do in my family? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh -uh. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. We see Abraham, we see Sarah, and the question's asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? And, of course, there's a resounding no. Nothing's too hard for God. Jeremiah, we find him being approached by the Lord and, 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 and hearing the words, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? <laughs> no, no way, God. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 26. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? That's a good question. I think it's a good question. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt... Enter into life, keep the commandments. You've got to remember now that Matthew, although it is in the New Testament, structurally speaking, you know, we often say, well, you have the Old Testament, ends with Malachi, you have the New Testament, begins with Matthew. Matt, remind you that until the death of the testator, chapter 9 of Hebrews, there's really no New Testament, there's no new covenant put in place. And so what we find here is we're still under an Old Testament economy here. And notice what's going on here again. He's saying you got to keep the commandments. You will never find in the New Testament as far as after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you'll never find the Apostle Paul or some church representative after the church of Jerusalem saying, uh, you got to keep the commandments. Matter of fact, in our Wednesday study, we recognized and realized that even in Galatia, there were those Judaizers that were coming along saying, listen, I know that you were saved by grace, so to speak. I realize that you accepted Christ your Savior, but you've got to keep the commandments. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. It's either by grace, through faith, or it's by works. And in this particular case, Jesus is stating something, keep the commandments. And you've got to understand Why? Understand that the commandments, if anything, and Christ is trying to reinforce this, the commandments prove to us that we do not live up to, nor can we meet God's expectation of perfection. It sets such a standard, such a high standard, that we say to ourselves, we're hopeless, we're helpless, we need someone, something other than ourselves. And so he's trying to bring this young man to this place. And he saith unto him, verse 18, which... Which of the commandments? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that isn't all of them, is it? I think that's good enough. Watch this now. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Hey, wait a second. I'm not so sure. Think about this for a minute. I mean, here's this young man. I mean, he, he may not have murdered anyone. Maybe he has never committed adultery. It's possible even that in this particular case, this young man, he, he, um, was it? he never stole anything. And he never bared false witness. He never lied to, about anything or anyone. 
And he honored his mom, and he honored his dad, and he did his best to obey them. I, I don't know. Wait, hold on a second, though. That last one kind of bothers me a little bit. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know what? I, I see the conceit rolling off his lips now. I, I hear the, the pride in his voice, even as we speak. I, I, he, says, he says to the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, um, what lack I? I've kept, them, I kept from my youth up. I've kept them. I've done everything you've asked. I've, told, I've done it exactly like you said. Hold on, let me ask you this. Um, say you're taking a walk and you're around the block and all of a sudden you see smoke coming up. And you start to walk a little faster. Hey, that looks like it's on my street. You get to the corner, and as you turn the corner, you see some, some uh, fire trucks running down your road. And now you're not walking fast anymore. You're almost at a kind of a jog. You're making your way there to the corner. And as you round the corner, you go, whew, I'm so glad it's not my neighbor's house. Wow, am I glad it's not my neighbor's house. Whew. Anybody in the room going to say that? No. No. You know what you're going to say? You're going to say the same thing I would. Whew. I'm glad it's not my house. Because you want to know why? There's nobody that loves their neighbor like themselves. Nobody does. You say, but I love my neighbor. I didn't say that you don't love them. I said you don't love them like yourself. Honestly, who would rather their, their neighbor's child be saved than, than their own? We don't love our neighbor like ourselves. This young man was, I mean, are you kidding me? Now, I mean, we can argue and we could debate the fact that it's not just what we do, it's what we think. And the Lord makes that clear in some passages in the New Testament that it's not just committing adultery, it's the thought of adultery and all of that. We get that, we understand that. But I mean, just from a very practical sense, if all else was kept, 100%, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, was not true. This young man lied to the master. You know why? Because he was lying to himself. He believed it to be true. He says, uh, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus saith, said unto him, verse 21, if thou, wilt perfect, if, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. He's got, a lot, he's got something. He's obviously very rich. He's got some kind of money. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I don't have time to debate what that actually means and what the setting of it is or what the customary aspect of that is. But let me just say this. What he's basically saying is it's going to be pretty tough to get a rich man into heaven. Now, hold on. You say, well, that makes sense to me. What? Hold on. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? Now, you've got to understand that in those days, remember, think about Abraham. Think about Job. Think about Isaac. Think about Jacob. What were these men? What did they all have in common? Yep, God. We get it. But what else? Great wealth. 
And listen, I'm going to tell you what, the, the, the priests in those days and the rabbis in those days, they taught that if, if, if you had wealth, it was because God was blessing you. And you know what? They had reason to believe that from the Old Testament. So these disciples now, here they are. They're listening to what Jesus is saying, and they're saying, are you kidding me? You're telling me a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven? You're telling me it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Who can be saved then? If a rich guy's going to have a hard time, who has the favor of God on their life, what in the world's a poor person going to do? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are what? Possible. See, they didn't see it the way Jesus was expressing. They couldn't wrap their mind around that. Things were going to change, dramatically change here in the very near future. That Old Testament economy would be out the window and in would come grace through faith. See, God wasn't, God, God is trying to make it clear. I mean, listen, he says riches are a problem because people tend to trust in them. And he's making it clear in the passage, you can't buy your salvation. Riches may give you a person entrance into all kinds of things here on the earth, but it does not give them entrance into the gates of heaven. Wealth often means power. Power means pride. Pride slams the gate on the kingdom. That's all there is to it. And again, the issue isn't that he's trying to pick on rich people. That's not it at all. But he's trying to make it clear to the disciples that it's not going to be what we possess that gives us entrance. It's going to be what he gives that does. Charles Spurgeon once made the statement, he said, I frequently hear persons exhort, excuse me, I frequently hear persons exhorted to give their hearts to Christ which is a very proper exhortation. But that is not the gospel. Salvation comes from something that Christ gives you, not something that you give to Christ. The giving of your heart to Christ follows after receiving from Christ of eternal life by faith. Boy, is that good. And isn't that the reality so many times in our lives and in the lives of those, our family and friends and those in the world, we, if we're not careful, because of the way we're brought up, that there's no free lunches. Nobody gets anything for nothing. You have to work and earn for everything in life. We have a tendency to somehow put salvation there in that same pot. But the truth is, is that Jesus says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Rich, poor, it doesn't matter because it's all on me. I wonder today, this morning, what may seem impossible to you? And I want to say that what may seem impossible to you is not impossible for God. And we have have looked at just a couple of examples in the scriptures. We saw Abraham and Sarah. Seemingly impossible situation. God happened. We know the nation of Israel, a seemingly impossible situation, scattered abroad, 
But God happened. And we see here a rich man who believed himself to be truly in a position to receive eternal life because of his own merit. And the Lord made it clear that it's not going to be a rich man. He's, he's going to have a rough time getting there. And yet the poor are going to be able to get there too. It's going to all be God. And that's all there is to it. He's able to do the impossible. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, not at all. No financial hardship, too hard. No family dilemma, too hard. No future obstacle, too hard. No failing or falling economy. No health problem, too hard. No problem too big that God can't solve it. What about you today? Maybe you've never trusted or received Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. Maybe your soul is still sick with sin. Your sin's not bigger than the God who created you. He's bigger and more powerful than your sin. Matter of fact, in Romans 5.20, the Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Remember we talked about the Ten Commandments, the law? It entered so that the offense would abound. So you would see how big your sin is, how much of a problem it is. He goes on to say, however, this is awesome. He says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God's grace is sufficient this morning. Sufficient to not only cleanse you and save your soul, but to enable you to live an obedient Christian life unto the Lord. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. So you know what I know? No matter how big your sin is, God's bigger. And you know what's important? He's willing that none should perish. That includes you. And if God is willing, well... That's all that matters is because we know he is what? Able. See, the only thing that we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing? Am I willing to look to Christ? Am I willing to admit that he alone is God and that he died for me on Calvary and that he shed his precious blood, that he was buried and rose again the third day to pay for my sin? Am I willing to accept that as a reality? Am I willing to allow his sacrifice to be applied to my life? Am I willing to turn myself to Jesus Christ and seek his mercy and ask for his forgiveness and receive him into my life as Lord? He's willing, are you? See, the only thing that makes your salvation impossible this morning is you. Because God's already taken care of it. On his end. You simply need to trust him now. All you have to do is trust him. You don't have to do anything but trust. Just say, okay, what you said. Okay. How's your marriage? How's your parenting doing? How are your children holding up? How are your grandbabies? 
How's your neighbor, your family member, your friends? How's your job look? How's your finances? How's your mental state, emotional state? How's your health? How's the health of those around you? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It may seem like an overwhelming obstacle to you. But if you'll get your eyes off of the obstacle. And on him. You can say. No. Nothing too hard for the Lord. I may not be able to do it, but he can. And so whether it's a situation or a circumstance in your life, or whether it's sin that still stands between you and the Lord, I want you to know there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Turn it over to him. Give it to him and allow him to be God in your life. And if you're lost today without Christ and you don't know for sure heaven's your home, I want you to know he's already promised to receive and accept you if you will come to him heavy laden he'll receive you if you'll come to him by faith trusting him he'll save you father we come to you we thank you again